Frank, and this is Blatant Frankism, a podcast dedicated to helping arm the community with more of the information necessary to move us forward in a world that seems to be trying its hardest to drag us back to some of the darkest times in our history. The mission of Blatant Frankism is to introduce more voices, perspectives, and experiences into the community dialogue by talking to people that represent various generations, genres, and walks of life. The vision is that each weekly conversation will provide listeners with new information that's relevant to their lives and that inspires them to act on those issues they see affecting their communities. Who knows? One day it could be you, your issue, and our conversation. Let's try to make sense of the world together. Let's provide each other with resources we all need to make it. Let's script our own narrative and stop letting those who don't truly represent us do it. Let's take action. Together. So, as an educator, I can't do this without an objective in mind. So our objective? No. Our SMART goal for this and every week is that by the end of today's show, we will all learn something about ourselves and the world as we each see both and take an action step on a personal or collective level that reflects this learning. Now, let's get into it. Let's warm up. Did you know that? According to the Post-Secondary National Policy Institute's September 2018 fact sheet, first-generation undergraduate students who are predominantly non-white and from low-income backgrounds face myriad financial, academic, and social barriers to entering and completing college as the first in their families to navigate college admissions, financial aid, and post-secondary coursework. Research has found significant differences in enrollment, degree attainment, and finances between students whose parents have a bachelor's degree or higher and students whose parents have little or no college experience. Minority students were more likely than white students to be first-generation students. In terms of demographics, 42% of black students and 48% of Hispanic students were first-generation students compared to 28% of white students. As it pertains to attaining a degree, Only 11% of low-income, first-generation college students will have a college degree within six years of enrolling in school, compared to about 55% of their more advantaged peers who were not low-income or first-generation students. This is all according to a Pell Institute study of students who first enrolled in fall 2003. What's important to understand is that if you're a first-generation college student, then uh, you feel a sort of responsibility, you know, a pressure a motivation, a desire, an urge, a calling, you know, um, to become the first to take that challenge on and to be successful at it. As you can see from the data, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people are successful, sometimes they aren't. I'm sure there are other circumstances. No, I know there are other circumstances that contribute to that. But in those situations where those students are successful, then what results is a benefit to the rest of us as they put their ideas and their works and their efforts out into the community. One such individual is Lakeisha Covert. Lakeisha Covert is the author of the bestseller, Try Success, It Won't Bite, How to Live Your Best Life Through 10 Principles of Self-Excellence, and a certified life coach specializing in personal growth 
She is also an award-winning educator with over 20 years of experience working with people. She is the founder and CEO of a nonprofit called the Christmas Experience Incorporated that serves children and families in need during the holidays. Lakeisha is a wife and busy mom of four children. Her passion is being an IT, inspire and transform specialist, helping people realize dreams and reach their destiny. She has been featured on the Fort People First and One Sharpens Another podcast. To learn more and for inquiries, email her at livelifelovely2 at gmail.com. That's L-I-V-E-L-I-F-E-L-O-V-E-L-Y, the number two, at gmail.com. Here's our interview with Lakeisha Covert. All right. Good evening, Lakeisha. How are you? How are you? I'm doing really well. Really well. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself before we get into the to the interview itself? Um, absolutely, LaShawn. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, speak on your podcast. I think it's such a wonderful thing that you're doing and um, definitely your gift to um, disseminate information in a way that's meaningful and powerful. Um, my name is Lakeisha Kohler. <clears throat> I am a former uh, principal and teacher uh, who is now working um, in a non-profit, at a nonprofit, a national nonprofit, and my platform is around teaching educators about standards-based education and equitable pra- uh, practices in the classroom. Um, so that, that's me professionally. I was a teacher in D.C. and Prince George County, and I've actually been an administrator in the whole DMV. I was uh, uh, assistant principal in D.C., and then I became principal in Prince George County, and in Alexandria, Virginia, both as elementary school. And uh, now work for a company called Unbound Ed that speaks to eradicate and equitable practices in the classroom by uh, teaching the, I don't want to say correct way, but the most effective way to um, teach standards based uh, instruction uh, across the country. And um, my title now is Senior Director of Program and Engagement because we host two standard institutes for educators this year, and my responsibility is to hire the facilitators for the event, the event, and to, uh, to uh, work with them doing standard institutes and beyond. So that's kind of my professional background in a nutshell. Okay. Okay, um, so what, what is it that led you uh, to the field of education? Uh, um, yes, that's a good question. I, um, it goes way back to when I was little. Um, I was the first person in my family to um, get a, a college degree. And um, even when I was little, I really, really enjoyed the idea of helping others by um, teaching them something new or disseminating information. Um, I can remember 
being in elementary school and always helping my classmates and um, helping my family when, when I could. Going to college was a new experience for me, so I remember um, coming home from college and like sharing with my father and my brothers everything that I was learning and how my eyes were being opened. And so, um, but even in college, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. So I came up with the idea to volunteer. I said, well, let me volunteer some places to see if I like it or not. <laughs> right. So I remember um, volunteering at Howard University um, Hospital, volunteering at Howard University Hospital to see if I wanted to be a nurse. I thought I wanted to be a nurse. And I volunteered, I think, like one day, and I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> it was something about the white walls. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. It was the walls. It's like, these walls are too white. And then I did not, and, and the instance I was there, I was in the NICU, and I saw the babies with all the tubes, and I was like, no, these babies are so horrible. Like, I realized I didn't want to do that pretty quickly, and it was such a shock that I didn't go back. I feel so bad about that to this day. <laughs> and um, so then I was like, okay, I know I don't want to do that. So then I volunteered at an elementary school in Southeast D.C. And the only thing they had me do was pass out juice and cookies before the standardized test to these first graders. And I went in through uh, the office, and I saw the secretary and the principal, and then I walked down the hall, and when I got in the classroom and I stood in front of the students to pass out the cookies and juice, it was like I was in a happy place. It was the atmosphere that I really, really enjoyed. And I volunteered there a couple of weeks, and they didn't have me do too much academically. I was like helping with like other stuff, but I was that experience I that education was what I wanted to do. So... Um, from there, I ended up, um, well, it was so funny because in my undergraduate, I studied psychology, and that was hmm. because, uh, well, I went to Johnson C. Smith University for accounting, so I thought I wanted to be an accountant first, so I went to Johnson C. Smith University for one year in, in North Carolina to be an accountant, and I got straight A's, my accounting teacher said I was really good, but I, I didn't like it, I thought it was boring. I wasn't happy, okay. so then I transferred, I transferred to George Washington University thinking I was going to major in being a teacher. I said, you know what? And, and my mom didn't like She was like, teachers don't make any money. Why you, you need to be an accountant. And I, I remember saying this at 17. I was like, yeah, mom, but if I really like it, I'm going to make a lot of money. And not knowing that was a point of wisdom, but I was like, I'm going to be teaching anyway. I'm still going to make a lot of money, Bobby. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> when I went to GW, I wanted to major in teaching. But that year, they cut the teaching program at George Washington University, wow. and they made it part of only the graduate program. So I was like, I'm already accepted. I'm already ready to transfer. This starts in a week. What, what's going to be my major? So I said, okay, what will help me with teaching? Because I am going to go to graduate so I, I told psychology. So I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in psychology. Wow. Not because I wanted to be a psychologist, but I knew it was a stepping stone to go to that graduate program to be a teacher. So um, I graduated. Um, it was a wonderful experience. But as soon as I graduated, uh, I think I started a master's degree program like a week after I graduated because it I graduated in May, the graduate program started in May, because it was a one-year program. It took me one year 
to get my master's degree, and it was from May to May straight. I had no break. I had to do a practicum at four different elementary schools, and it was a very intense program. I was the only African American in the program. Oh, wow. And okay. it was it was a it was a very it, that experience taught me a lot, and I did feel like I was ready to become a teacher after that one year experience. So once I finished that master's degree program, I had interviews. And I really wanted to work in Arlington, Virginia. I had met this participant saw me as a student teacher. He was like, I want to do in Arlington, Virginia. So I had two interviews. I had a practice interview in Prince George's County. Because my interview that I really wanted was coming up in Arlington. But when I interviewed in Prince George's County, I loved it so much that I accepted the position. Mm. <laughs> and I actually spent seven years of my teaching career in Prince George's County as a teacher. And then after that, um, I ended up going to D.C. public school for one year and then working at a Catholic school and helped convert it into a charter school. It's now called Center City for the Charter School. And I ended up being at Center City for four years before um, joining a, a, a principal program and becoming a principal. So, yeah, so that was my crazy journey into why I became a teacher. So psychology, uh, I'm, I'm coming back to that. I guess psychology, even though that's not what you had intended to focus on, it's definitely something that you've been able to use since how, you know, thinking about the other things that you have done or do currently as far as being a life coach and writing your books. You know, how has that been able to, to I guess, be a surprise benefit, you know, to other aspects of your life? Oh, psychology was huge. It was like... You know, I, I really think God directed me into psychology because I didn't know what psychology was. But in that program, I learned, I mean, we had different classes. We had abnormal psychology. I think class, actually. <laughs> we had um, social psychology. Um, so learning about the human psyche and human behavior helped me, like, my whole career. It helped me my entire career. And um, when I was a principal... Um, there was a side of me that felt like something was missing, and I think it was the ability. Because once you get on the principal side, you do way more than just teach, right? You're like you're, you're still teaching, but you're also doing administrative work. You're managing. You're doing politics, and so I wanted something to take me back to my roots of teaching while I was a principal. So um, I actually took a personality assessment online. <laughs> And the personality assessment, I remember thinking, and it said that I should be um, a counselor. Like <laughs> my personality was to be a counselor, and I was like, "Well, I can't be a counselor, but I could be a life coach." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what um, I did. Like I just, while I was a principal, I sought out uh, a certification school. So I ended up fi- finding a school called. Um, World Coach Institute, and I'm saying that on purpose because a lot of people who want to be life coaches, they're like, well, how, how do you get certified? Where do you go? World Coach Institute is a really good school. It's online. They even gave me a scholarship. So I'm interested. Check out World Coach Institute, and they, they have a really dynamic program. So I I ended up getting into that um, uh, 
life coaching program, got the scholarship, um, took an intensive for the summer on purpose, and I was the principal of the summer. It was like the best, was the best time for me to take the course and ended up getting certified as a life coach and taking on um, my, a client immediately to help them work. And that's when I found my psychology come to that. Okay. <laughs> um, just learning, showing people, helping people. It was a perfect thing for me because it was like all wrapped up in one, like by experience um, plus the expertise I had just gained was helping people get their lives in order and I was really satisfied by that. So I, I've been a life coach since 2013 now. Um, so the same thing with life coaching psychology, even though um, I had to scale back on my life school right now, my life coaching is still helping me in my career. Like, I'm still coaching people, um, with, you know, but, and they ask me to do, <laughs> of course, like on job and at home. It's really beneficial for me to have psychology and life coaching under my belt in school. Okay. Um, tell me about the Christmas experience. Oh, yes, the Christmas experience. Okay, cut me off when I start talking too long. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my love. So, the Christmas Experience Incorporated is a nonprofit that I founded, and I am CEO of. And I can tell you how that started as well. So, in the same vein um, as me starting school, like what I grew up, we did not have a lot of money, and uh, we did not celebrate Christmas often. As a matter of fact, I'm so happy ever. I think we celebrated Christmas over someone else's house, like maybe a couple of times, but in my own house, we've never, we never celebrated. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, I still have these vivid, vivid memories, and I'm over 40 right now, but I still have these vivid memories of Christmas days where I would go outside and my friends would be out there and they were on their skates and they're riding their bikes and um, they're showing people their dolls and what they're telling people what they got for Christmas and I had nothing and so I would lie I would say oh my toys are over my grandmother's house or oh um, my dad is punishing me and I can't bring my toys outside but I got this this and this you know mm-hmm. and I, I I would lie. And I had stuff for Christmas when I really didn't have anything. And then the worst thing would be, you remember when you had to go back to school after Christmas break and your teacher would say, take out a pen and paper and write about what you did for Christmas or what you got for Christmas. Right, yeah. And everybody, everybody started writing this is what I did for Christmas. And of course, you know, I'm just like lying. But I didn't realize in a moment how devastating that was for me. Mm-hmm. Go, to go through that year after year until I got older and I started making money and I started having my own kids and I was like, they're always going to have Christmas. They're never going to have to worry about not going to this. And so I became a Christmas fanatic. Now my, my own kids, they don't even care about this at all. Mm. Like Christmas <laughs> mommy's holiday. So, I don't know what it is. This is after I uh, joined the nonprofit world and 
um, my, my lifestyle changed, and I really wanted to help, and I didn't know how. And my girlfriend was, looked at me and said something so simple. She was like, uh, okay, so you like Christmas and you like children. Why don't you just combine it and start an organization? And I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. And so one day, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so one day when I was driving, I was like, well, think about all the Christmas places out there. You know, Toys for Tots was for toys. There's a military organization that gives trees. Churches give food. And, and so what could you do? And it came to me that I can do all of it. So I haven't seen an organization that did all of it for one family that gave the tree and the and the boys um, and to create these traditions or defer the traditions when the family is in a crisis and they can't do it. I haven't seen that. I said, that's what it is. And then I was like, okay, Lord, what am I going to call it? And while I was driving, it was just a Christmas experience. It just came to me and I thought it was God. I don't even know how I even came up with that name other than like it, it just popped in my head. And so um, that's how the experience was born, and I didn't, like, start right away, or just a non-profit. No, I wasn't a non-profit when I started, and I want to encourage people, like, you want to do something to help people, especially, don't wait to have paperwork to start helping people. Like, you can help people now. Right, right. <laughs> so, I, so I started, I um, started off with helping four children, um, one was in a school, I knew a principal, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, I worked with schools, so I know schools. I had friends who were willing to take a chance on the Christmas experience at their school. So I had a friend who agreed to have this Christmas experience at her school. So I, at that time, I only had enough money. I sent my own friend, my own pocket to get toys for one child at her school. And she let me do it. And then we had three other children, uh, not from the school. It was the family that the mother had lost her job. We knew the parent didn't have a job. I didn't know what school her uh, children went to, but we helped her three kids. So that was like four kids the first year. That was the everything. And then the second year, I decided to ask people for money. The second year, I went to GoFundMe. Again, I don't have a nonprofit yet. I'm just asking people who know me, give me money so I can help kids. And I think we ended up raising like four, a thousand. No, it was a thousand dollars. We ended up raising a thousand dollars, I think. And we would end up going back to the school where we helped one child, and we ended up helping seven to nine oh, children. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like a big jump. And when I knew people were going to give me money, when I got that $1,000, I said, okay, we got to do it. I'm not talking now because my um, thing was, if we're not a nonprofit, people are not, I don't think people would think we're serious, and right. eventually they'll stop giving. So in July of 2016, um, I was gifted money to complete the paperwork for the government. And in uh, July 2016, we became a nonprofit. July 16th, actually, is the exact date. So Uber excited about that, telling everybody that nonprofit. I had a seven-member board. I mean, I worked really hard to do it the right way get everything done, and that year, we went up to helping 28 kids. Nice. Oh, wow. And so, long story short, this last Christmas, Christmas 2018, we gave out the most we've ever given out, uh, 500 boys and 60, no, uh, what, 65? 
seeing like Christmas morning and you know the music and the gifts and stuff I was there I was there uh, I, I must say um 
I did uh, enjoy, um, you know, a couple of years ago when I when I helped wrap gifts. Um, yeah. I, I was I was really happy to be a part of it, and I'm really uh really proud to know you, man. Really proud to know you. Thank you, Sean. Likewise, and thanks for helping out. We need all the help we can get, so I appreciate it. We'll, we'll try, try to get you some more this year. Try to get you some more this year. Um, yes. So, we are going to, um, there are, you know, a few more questions left, but we are a little bit over time. So, let me just, oh, one, okay. one more formal, formal question. Um, in thinking about, you know, your life, you know, you told us a little bit about, you know, your upbringing and, and what led you down the path and, and to where you are now. Um when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? I love this question. Um, you know, I actually think about this more often than not, like my legacy. Because I, I want to live a legacy. My prayer is always that I get the, I get to live out the destiny that God set for me on this earth. I don't want to pass away without living the destiny that God sets for me. Because there's a lot of people who do. Um, I, I remember reading this book um, by Delatoro McNeil called Robbing the Grave of Its Greatness. And the premise of the book is that so many people take their greatness with them to the grave. And I don't want to do that. I want to rob the grave of its greatness. I want my greatness to be So I think I want my legacy to be loved. Mm. I want it. I want it to be. Um, I want it to be one. I want to show people what's possible, um, and, and that they could they could live out their own destiny. I want my legacy to be helping people live out their destiny in life. Mm. I want to impart. I want to impart that on other people. So everywhere I go, on my job and education. Uh, when someone comes up to me and they say, I want this, I want to help guide them in that right direction, or even through the business experience when I'm giving out these toys, I want to be an example to the kids that this is what they can do when they grow up and they overcome. This is how they can give back. So I serve as an example when I give toys to children of how when they get older, they can give as well. Um, because they they want to remember what we do with the Christmas experience, and, and we hope that because of that memory, they will be able to help others and live out their destiny in life, in their lives as well. So I would say I want my legacy to be that Lakeisha, when she was on this earth, showed us that we can do anything we want to do. We can be anything we want to be because... God is the one who orchestrates our steps, and nobody can take that away. Nobody can take that away. And so I want to be part of of that journey for other people. So I would say, yes, giving love and helping people live out their destiny in life. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. We are going to uh, move into our, our rapid-fire questions. Our rapid-fire questions. Yay! And so what I need from you, I need five numbers between 1 and 69. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Any numbers? Yep. Okay. Um, yes. Say it again. 20, 10. Uh-huh. 27. Uh-huh. Um, 44. Okay. 3. Okay. Um, 19. 
All right, 19. Now I need one number between 1 and 26. One number between 1 and 26. Yeah. Okay, 1. Okay. All right, so here we go. The first set of questions. Number three, what are your top two favorite desserts? Ooh, I like this question. Mm -hmm. My top two are definitely red velvet cupcakes mm -hmm. and sweet potato pie. <laughs> That's a good top two. That's a good top two. That's a good one. All right. All right, question number 10. If you could only eat at one restaurant forever, what restaurant would it be? Oh, my goodness. What restaurant would I want to eat from forever and ever? Okay, I have to have, like, a balanced meal there. Uh, <laughs> I get bored with the food. Uh, okay, what is the favorite? Okay, I want to say anything. I don't know. I have a favorite restaurant. Just me. Um, I want to choose the Japanese place for chorus. Okay. The fire and stuff, you know, because right. I get entertained. Japanese yeah. steakhouse, okay. <laughs> little, okay. <laughs> little entertainment with your meal that don't get boring as quick, okay. Yes, exactly. Forever, I got to be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, question 19. What's your favorite book? Question 27. What is your favorite book cinematic combination? Oh, yes. Um, which movie did I love that was a book? Um, I would say, um, I would say their eyes were, were watching God. Okay. The eyes from watching God because um, Holly Berry played the main character in the movie, and I think Oprah saw uh, put the movie on screen. But I remember in college reading that book and really connecting to um, that era and the character and her strength. So yeah, I don't think that eyes watching God. Okay. All right. 
Question 44. What was the first concert you ever went to? Oh, I remember. Okay, I remember being in high school and being obsessed with MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I wanted to dance. I wanted to be a dancer. And I just wanted to dance like MC Hammer. It was the first concert I ever went to. I sat in the low three section. I was like way in the back, like the last thing. Where at? Road in the back of a big stadium. I think it was in the Dallas, so it was like... Was it the Actually, it's a two-parter. Who would you want to play you in your life story, and who would play one important person in your life? Oh, that's a really cool one. Well, I know definitely who I want to say be Taraji Henson, because I just love her, and I think if I ever met her, we would be really good friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I would say Taraji Henson has to be looking at your cover. Um, <laughs> and a loved one in my life. Um, my husband. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would like Michael B. Jordan to play my husband. Because I know I have a little pressure on him from time to time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. But yes, Michael B. Jordan would be my husband. And he looks like my husband, too, so that's what it would be. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Taraji and Michael B. All right. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Lakeisha Covert, um, I thank you again. I really appreciate you. Um, proud of you. Proud to know you. Proud to be a part of your life, Aww. man. Thank you, Rashad. Instead of being here, um, I really believe our past talks for a reason. So yes, man. Thank you. Yes, man. Um, so uh, before before we hang up, why don't you get a plug in for your book, which we did not get to talk about? Yes. Yes. Try to. Yes, it won't bite. So this is a book that um, is based on my life coaching and my own experience. And this is the destiny part. It is a book that will help you if you are a person who has a, has a dream but don't know how to get there, or you know you're supposed to be doing something else in life, but you are not quite sure. This book will help guide you to where you. Um, should be. It is a book that also has questions in the back of each chapter based on the word excellence. I took the word excellence, created 10 principles of self-excellence that I use to um, to be successful in my life that I'm sharing with other people. So yeah, it is really cheap on Amazon right now. I think it's, uh, you can get it for $3 on uh, Kindle. So please go out and get Try Success It Won't Bite. Um, it will definitely catapult you to where you need to be. All right. Thank you, ma'am. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
I want to thank my uh, mentor, coach, and friend, Lakeisha Covert, for being our guest this week. Uh, I value her presence in and contributions to my life. And I hope I've added uh, even a modicum of what she has to my life, to hers. Um, she's doing good work. She's in it for the right reasons. Um, and uh, I think everybody should uh, pay attention to what she's doing. Again, thank you, Lakeisha. And thinking about everything that um, Lakeisha and I talked about, I think what moves me the most is her work with the Christmas Experience. Um, that was a phenomenal organization, and it was a pleasure to participate when I was given the opportunity. Um, for me, Christmas has always been uh, you know, my favorite time of year. And, you know, I know as a kid it was about the gifts, but it was also just the feeling. It was a different feeling, just in the air, within people. I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'll always say, you know, for me, the Christmas season didn't start until I heard um, uh, Silent Night by the Temptations on the radio. Not, I couldn't play it myself, you know, I had to hear it. <laughs> then it was time to really think Christmas was coming. You know, it was always, uh, it was just about family and laughing and music and everybody just having a good time. You know, what happens as you get older and your perspective on the situation changes. Eventually, you get your, it's the memories of the previous Christmases that hold you over. You know, looking for the moments in these current ones that make you feel like that. Mm. <clears throat> Admittedly, it was less and less like that for me. So I keep going back to those times, you know, going back to that Christmas, I can see us on uh, the University Boulevard, and I see like the Foot Locker and the, the McDonald's, and got CVS on the left-hand side, and I went into the CVS, and I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll, and like, that's the memory. <laughs> Like, that's all I see. <laughs> like, riding down the street. I know the sun is shining. And, you know what I... <laughs> you know? I think I got a... Yeah, I got a cabbage patch doll, I think. Yeah. I think so. Maybe my sister. I don't, I don't know. I think I did, though. You know? was a... Memory of... Yeah, 
So yeah, they lived right down the street from us, apparently. That's when we was reintroduced, or we all were reintroduced to each other by that. So, you know. I got to see my grandma more often than dad before the drugs. So, you know, that, that's a that's a, an extended memory. There's happiness and sadness in that one. But I don't get into all of that right now. You know, just to say that um, Christmas is still my favorite time of year, even if the perspective is changing, because I am still holding on to the ideals that it, it should be about, you know, family and joy and happiness and celebrating together. And what that looks like is dependent upon your age. <laughs> and so if we can bring whatever that looks like um, to the people who who want it, who need it, who aren't able to make it happen for themselves, you know, whenever possible that would, you know, I celebrate and uh, thank people who make that happen, so, all right, that's all I got to say about that, before we end this week, Let's take a five-minute break. Talk about what's going on in this world. Ding, ding. So, I have a number of problems with this um, varsity blues <laughs> college scam. Um, just uh, so many issues. But right now, my issue is, is the coverage. Just the coverage. The face of this scam is that of... Uh, Two women, two actresses, um, but the people are not just these two actresses. I saw a headline and said the Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin college scam, yada yada yada. <laughs> like <laughs> they're calling it their scam. I'm I'm having a hard time understanding why they are the face of this. I mean, Felicity Huffman is married to William H. Macy, who is just as, if not more popular than she. Why was she the only one charged? All indications are that he was in on it from the start. But, you know, I guess there are reasons. I'm not law enforcement, you know privy to the inside knowledge, but <sighs> still makes me wonder. And Lori Laughlin, her husband is the, the, the Mosimo guy, you know. Tajay is finest. Mosimo, shop Mosimo at Tajay. <laughs> I've seen this picture a few times since this happened. I wouldn't have recognized him, but still. I mean, if anything, if you were going to put two people at the helm, as the face, it would be those two, Laurie and Mosebo. <laughs> because their two daughters are the ones whose faces we see representing the, the, the those unknowingly affected. <laughs> uh, I mean, 
I mean, for real. This is craziness. I, I think I heard that the total of, of money spent with, you know, all of these families was like somewhere around twenty four million. If you did just said just the total twenty four million dollars. To get your kids into school. Schools that they didn't want to go to. Pretending to do things that they didn't even know they were supposed to be pretending to do. <laughs> I'm so confused as to how this went on so long. But, you know, it did. And, and then it didn't. Because as usual... You know, someone involved in this was involved in something else and got caught up in that something else, and so everyone involved in this got caught up with him. So, I'm not thinking about jail time and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to leave that up to, you know, the people in charge. But I do have another suggestion as far as resolution is concerned. If... It is so important to them that all of this money be spent to gain entry into these institutions of higher learning than these individuals should be made to spend exactly the same amounts on scholarships to these very same institutions of higher learning for students of color. Those most greatly affected by what this nonsense was about. Those who are in the greatest need because of the circumstances that society has found itself in throughout history. We know. We know what's going on. We know this 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 scandal, as they want to call it, ain't new. They've just been doing it this way, you know. But we we know what you know legacies are about. We we know all of that stuff. Advantages breed more advantages, which breed more advantages, and unfortunately, the disadvantaged continue to be disadvantaged and victimized and left behind. Well, fuck that. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of folks just getting away with stuff. I don't want no slaps on the hand. What is it? Slap on the wrist. Whatever it is. I don't want none of that. You got it? You want to give it away so bad? Give it away to the folks who really deserve it. Give it away to the folks who are really going to put it to use. Give it away to the folks whose opportunities you snatched away. Because the opportunities you already had weren't enough for you. What more do you need? Yeah. <clears throat> folks are growing tired. And with that, our five-minute break, which actually went a little longer, is over. Ding, ding. Let's start closing this week out. Your homework for this and every week is hashtag do something. Think about what you heard today. What resonates with you? 
In particular, what can you do to make the world a little brighter for someone in need, especially the youngest and most vulnerable upon us? What support can you provide? What resources can you offer? Are they emotional, physical, financial, or something else? How can you help them navigate the world better? How about just helping them access the world? Now, what are you going to do, or what have you done? Tell me about it. As a matter of fact, let me know your thoughts about the show as well. As I said, I'm a teacher. I have an open-door policy. So you can contact me with any questions, comments, or concerns via my website, YouTube, and Facebook at Blatant Frankism. That's the letter B, L-A-T-A-N-T-F-R-A-N-K-I-S-M. I felt like fab on that. <laughs> Email at bfrankism at gmail.com. That's the letter B, F-R-A-N-K-I-S-M at gmail.com. And on Twitter and Instagram at bfrankism. That's right. You guessed it. The letter B, F-R-A-N-K-I-S-M. A-N-K-I-S-M. Now, as for the Powerball, we didn't win last week, but we'll keep playing. Today's Powerball numbers are 3, 10, 19, 27, 44, and the Powerball is 1. If you win, pay it forward or put it back into the community. I want to thank my Women's History Month sponsors, Wasted Rain and crafty Nubian sister. If you're on a uh, personal or cultural journey in search of waist beads, you know, trying to get sexy, sensual, and seductive as you uh, watch and feel those inches fall off, then you want to check out Wasted Rain on Etsy. That's Wasted Rain, one word, capital W-A-I-S-T-E-D, capital R-A-I-N-E, Wasted Rain on Etsy. And if you're in need of custom creations for your business or group, you know, T-shirts, mugs, journals, any other type of uh, specially designed paraphernalia, check out Crafty Nubian Sister on Facebook. That's C-R-A-F-T-E-E N-U-B-I-A-N-S-I-S-T-A-H Crafty Nubian Sister on Facebook. Again, I want to thank them both for their support. Today and always, don't forget to check on somebody and if you need somebody to check on you, let them know. Alright, that's it for this week. See you next Wednesday. Get at me.